We're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by God's word. It is not a temporary residence. It's not a dormitory or a hotel room or even an Airbnb. It is our permanent dwelling. You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gaston Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. If you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 36 today. Again, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. And we're going to be looking at a sermon that is uh, titled, The Characteristics of True Believers. And so today we will be analyzing what a true believer looks like in Jesus' own words here this morning. But before we get started, and as you're turning there, I just want to share a a brief story with you. And it's a story of uh, a little bit of firearms history. So if that's something to interest you, you can pay attention for just a minute, right? The Ross rifle was this very famous weapon. It was a tested target weapon. So much that in the early part of the uh, 1900s, it was known as one of the best weapons in the world as far as accuracy could be tested. And so when the entire world went to war in World War II, there were several units that carried these with them. The Canadian Army was entirely outfitted with the Ross rifle, and they were confident because it had passed every test that they could throw at it in peacetime. They did everything they could. They knew that it was a superior weapon, that it was the thing that they could put some trust in. They were confident in it because of all of these tests that they had run in peacetime. But when put to the test in actual warfare, the rifle was terrible. In fact, it was so bad that soldiers would throw them away or use them as clubs and pick up other weapons from fallen soldiers. What I want you to realize is that just like this rifle, there is a kind of belief Belief that serves well in peacetime. It's great so long as it costs us nothing, so long as it's never put to the test, so long as there's no difficulty or pain or warfare. But that belief is not what we are called to. Instead, we are called to true belief. Belief that stands up to the test. Belief that endures. True belief in Jesus Christ And as we recognize that only true belief will save us and only true belief will sustain us, we need to make sure that our belief is a true belief. And so today as we look at this passage, we're going to see some marks of that in Jesus' teaching. So I'll be reading from the ESV, but you follow along in your translation. Beginning in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, And the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, this morning we come before you, and Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together here today. Lord, it is an honor and it is a privilege. Lord, may we not take for granted this grace that you have shown us by allowing us to freely gather here this morning. But Lord, we know that you have called us here to gather for a purpose. 
Lord, that purpose is to worship you. That purpose is to hear from your word and to go and live it. So, Father, as we hear today from your word, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would move in us. You would reveal your will to us. You would challenge us and equip us. You would convict us and encourage us. Father, help us to see today the kind of life that you have called us to. Father, help us to be faithful, to live out that calling. Lord, we ask your blessings on our service today that everything we do and everything we say would be for your honor and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have been with us for any length of time, you know that we have been working through John chapter 8. And really, we have embarked on this long section of teaching where it's really one long piece of a conversation with some back and forth, some response, and some teaching from Jesus and the Pharisees. And so what's happening here is that this is following up immediately after the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus has used that as a tremendous opportunity to teach them to use some object lessons and so on and so forth. But last week, it's important for us to understand exactly where we left off so that we know what the context of today's passage is. Last week, Jesus gave a warning to the dead in sin. He told them that they would die in their sins and specifically explained what that would look like if they did. It would ultimately mean a separation. It would mean going and knowing him in wrath for eternity. And so we worked through that and we came to the end where he really explained that not only was there a warning to those who were dead in sin, but he offered them the way, right? He showed them that the way not to die in their sins was to believe that he was I am. And we saw that connection there with believing that he was truly the son of God. But at the end of that passage, verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So while Jesus was teaching, it says that many people believed in him. We need to recognize that there is a necessity of discipleship. A necessity of following up with people who claim to believe. Here we see in this many people believed, but then Jesus embarks on this teaching where he says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You see, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it out. We recognize that, yes, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, but there will necessarily be a change in your life if you are. Right? There will be marks of that belief. There will be evidence to point to it. That old favorite preaching illustration that many pastors have used over the years would be if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? We've heard that. We've probably dealt with that before. But it doesn't take away the truthfulness of it. Because you cannot go from dead to alive without showing some change. Dead things and living things have different characteristics. And so what we'll see today is that there are marks, there are evidences of what true belief looks like. I want to show you three of those together today. The first one is that true believers abide in his word. True believers abide in his word. Truly, Jesus says here, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
Jesus tells them what should be obvious. Um, just as Brandon mentioned this morning, we have something for everybody on Wednesday nights. And here in uh, the sanctuary in our adult Bible study, we're going through Psalm 119. And uh, we're finishing up working through that. But the point of that psalm is that we are to love God's word. And there's so many reasons for that. More reasons than uh, we have time here for today. But we need to recognize we are called to be the people of the book. For many years, that was how we were known as people of the book. People who believe in God's word and who love it. But here, explicitly, Jesus connects those who truly believe with those who abide in his word. Now, that word abide is one we're pretty familiar with because we've been singing it pretty frequently as well, right? That's by design. It's on purpose. We've been talking about this idea of abiding. It's something that will come up many more times in John's gospel. But it's a biblical word that we've likely heard before. The Greek word here is minnow. And it means to continue, to remain, to abide. Now, many of us, we read this, we hear this, and we believe that to abide in the word means that we take some time each day and we read it. Right? To abide in the word means that we, we take some time and we commune with God. Maybe we wake up early and we get away and we focus on God's word. That is a good start and it's true. But this idea of abiding in the word means so much more than that. Have you ever had a friend who is just one of those people who says cliches all the time? Uh, I have some friends like that, and I remember when we were in college, we used to always welcome people into our dorm room, and we would use that phrase, welcome to my humble abode. Maybe you say that when someone comes over, I don't know. But what is an abode? An abode is a place of residence, right? It's where you live. It is where you abide. That word abode stems directly from abide. And so what we can see here is that clearly when Jesus is telling us to abide in his word, he's not just talking about a few fleeting moments of reflection. He's talking about living in his word, residing in his word, taking up residence, dwelling there. The word is to be our home. And this is important because where we live shapes us. It forms us, right? It gives us things like accents. It gives us specific tastes. We do things a specific way, right? I remember when I went to a conference when I was younger, um, I met some people. It was the FFA National Convention, and so I had Alabama on the back of my jacket. And these people from New York came up to me and they said, say something country. <laughs> and so I did, and they were impressed, and they went on their way. But accents, right, our tastes. We like certain food that maybe people in the other parts of the world think is crazy. And people in other parts of the world love things that we think are crazy. We do things a specific way. Y'all say hose pipe. I have never heard that until I moved here. <laughs> never in my life. That was a water hose. But in the same way, if we take up residence in God's word, our speech, our taste, our actions, everything will change. 
We don't talk the way that we used to. Rather, our speech is seasoned with salt, with light, the gospel. Our taste is no longer for the things that which we once used to love. The sin of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Our actions are no longer hollow and self-serving. But again, everything changes. And instead of it simply conforming to our surroundings and our culture, we are conforming to God's word and God's will. This is what's being talked about in Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by God's word. It is not a temporary residence. It is not a dormitory or a hotel room or even an Airbnb. It is our permanent dwelling. And the reason for this is quite clear. It's something that the Puritans understood because what I started finding out was the more Puritans I read on this subject, they all said basically the same thing. One of my favorites, William Gurnall, he said, the Christian is bred by the word and he must be fed by it. Thomas Watson said the same thing. He said, the scripture is both the breeder and feeder of grace. How is the convert born? But by the word of truth. How does he grow? But by the sincere milk of the word. And we see this come from scripture in James 1.18. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In 1 Peter 2.2, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so what we see is that we are called to abide in the word because through it God will grow us and shape us and disciple us into what he would have us to be. It's not only that we read of the gospel in it and we know of that new life, but it's also that we continue to grow. The verse continues though. It says those who abide in the word will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Again, we see a two-edged meaning here. If we know God's word, then we know truth. This is an important thing for us to think about. If we know God's word, we know truth. By the same token, if we dwell in the world, we will know changing truths that are never concrete and can never be counted on. But if we know God's word, we'll know the truth that never changes. We'll know his law and his will. And so if we're interested at all in what is true and what is real and what is really important and what the purpose of our life, what our meaning is, if we're interested in any of those things, then we need to know God's word because it is the truth. But the second edge of meaning here is that it says if we dwell in the word, we will know the truth and the truth will what? Set us free. This is put into perspective in light of John 14, 6, which again recognizes Jesus as the truth. Truth. By knowing Christ, we are set free. We take the concept of freedom far too granted, far too for granted in today's society. 
Because we live, again, in a culture in which, thankfully, we are a free people. But freedom in this context was never something that was taken for granted. It was a privilege. It was a blessing. And so this freedom that we see here in in, in the Scripture, it's something that's far greater than what is granted to us by the Constitution. It's freedom that's far greater than, than the abilities we have to do the things that we are able to do. This is a freedom from sin that cannot be found anywhere else. It cannot be obtained any other way than through Christ. And so the application from this first point is pretty simple, isn't it? I ask you, do you claim to be a believer? I'm going to go out on a limb and, and just say most people who attend church claim to be a believer, Right? Most people here would likely say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ. And so I ask you, are you dwelling, are you living in, are you abiding in God's word? Or is your dwelling somewhere else? We know from the story of Lot that where we pitch our tent matters. Are we... In the world, or are we in the Word? This is a question we must ask because, according to Jesus, this is a mark of true belief. Abiding in His Word. If, if you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. I don't want to just say it or declare it, I want to know I am truly His. So we see that a mark of a true believer, the first one is that we abide in his word. The second one is that we think spiritually. Again, everything's changed. Notice here in verse 33, the response of the Jews. What is the response? They said, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The response is basically, thanks but no thanks, we don't need freedom. We are Abraham's descendants and we have never been in bondage to anyone. And the idea here is that they're saying, we aren't slaves, why do we need to be made free? Now first of all, this is an absolutely absurd thing to say. As we have looked at and seen over the last few weeks, really the last few months, sometimes the Pharisees and these Jews just say things and they haven't ever really looked back at their own history. They say here, we have never been enslaved to anyone. When in reality, the Jewish existence to this point had been marked by nothing but bondage. We think back over the framework of Scripture. They've been in bondage to Egypt, to the Philistines, to Babylon, to Persia, to Syria, and then now here, at the very moment in which they say this, they are under the rule of Rome. One commentator said, he said, was there not a Roman garrison looking down from the castle into the very temple courts where this falsehood was uttered? As they say this, their temple existed in the shadow of the Roman soldier's castle. We see here is a mark of unbelievers. That is that they are spiritually blind. And so by looking at the flip side of that, we can easily see that true believers should think and see spiritually Something that the Apostle Paul would talk about at length in Romans 8. 
specifically in verses 5 and 6, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. If our mind is fleshly and worldly, we will only go to death. Proverbs talks about this. Man has a way he thinks he should go, but that way leads to death. But if we are spiritually minded, we have life and peace, the word says. We see that Jesus' response is a spiritual one, obviously, here in verse 34. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's correcting their thinking here. As stupid as it was to say that they had never been in bondage to anyone, it was even dumber for them to say that they were not in bondage to sin. And they don't respond to this well. We'll see next week and the week after that that they continually deny that they are slaves of sin and they deny that Jesus is Lord. And what this is is it is self-deception at its max. They're lying to themselves. And John will talk about this in his epistle later in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That truth of the word does not abide in people that say they do not sin. J.C. Ryle was writing on this subject. He said, the power of self-deception in the unconverted man is infinite. The greatest lies we tell are to ourselves. We see that this is a part of our natural state. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Called to be spiritually minded, that we may understand the things of the Spirit. Friends, don't fall victim to the flesh and deceive yourself into thinking that you don't need God and that you have it all together on your own. It's one of the greatest obstacles we face in our culture today. I was reading a book on this just recently, talking about reasons that people say that they don't want to hear the gospel. And one of them was they said, well, we just don't think we need God. We've got it all figured out. Do not deceive yourself. In fact, if we do a poll, if we ask most people, Do you got it all figured out? How would they respond? Probably not. Most of us are doing the best we can to make it through each day, to figure it out as we're going. But yet the world insists we don't need God. We've got everything figured out. Meanwhile, we can't figure out anything. We can't figure out what boys and girls are. All the while saying, we know. This is self-deception. You're deceiving yourself. When on the flip side, true believers, they see their sin, they weep over it, they repent of it, and they go on following Christ. It's a little thing I wrote in the bulletin this week. It's got these, these steps. 
on like what you do when you run into sin, on how to repent of it. it it's great stuff. But we need to see it and, and weep over our sin. Repent. If we say we have no need to, then we, again, we're deceiving ourselves. But this is why the best sermon feedback is that, oh, it was convicting. Because that means that God is using his word to show you where you have fallen short and encourage you to follow him more closely by his grace and the Spirit's help. We cannot think like the world which says we're okay, we've got it all figured out on our own, we don't need any help. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'll grit my teeth and bear it, and I'll make it on my own. We cannot do it. And if, on the other side, we are even so arrogant as to say, well, I am perfectly fine the way I am, then we're lying to ourselves even more. And so I ask you, do you think spiritually or do you think according to the world? True believers, they see things in light of unchanging spiritual truths, whereas the world sees things in light of ever-changing culture. Do we think spiritually? Finally, the third mark of a true believer we see from this text is that they are free from slavery to sin. Jesus, again, he answers him. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We need to make sure we understand what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about slavery, bondage to sin, complete captivity to it. But he says, if the Son has set you free, you are free from the bondage of sin. Free indeed. So what does slavery to sin look like? Well, we're all born into it, right? We're, we're captive to sin. It has full hold over us. But if we're a believer... We're not free from that captivity. Jesus here is connecting this, again, to the idea of habitual sin. This idea of practicing sin is in a specific Greek text, uh, I mean a Greek tense that I'm not going to bore you with this morning, but it lets us know that what Jesus is talking about here is, is those who are continually sinning, those who make it an active practice. So Jesus here is not saying that if you're a, you're a believer and you slip up and you fall into a sin and then you repent of it, that you're not a true believer. That's not what I'm saying. What he's saying is that people who claim to be believers but habitually and continually persist in the same sins are slaves to it. You serve it. Paul will talk about this in Romans. He says we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to God. And so I ask you, are you habitually and continually persisting in sin? Do you weep over it? Do you cry? Do you repent of it? Or does it hold you captive? The thing about this is that this captivity and the slavery to sin, it goes hand in hand with what we just talked about a moment ago with that self-deception. How many addicts do we know who have said, oh, I can stop whenever I want to? I'm perfectly fine. I 
On the other side, there are those who, who have that slow fade, a few compromises, and you keep compromising and keep compromising until next thing they know they're right in the middle of it. Regardless, it's a slavery. It's a bondage. You're captured. You're stuck. And in the midst of this, Jesus says that true believers are free from slavery to sin. And that's something that we cannot do on our own. Left to ourselves, were it not for God's grace, we are all in bondage. We're all in chains. It's only through being made a new creation, given a new nature by the grace of God, that this can happen. It requires us to place faith in the work of Christ, to be changed by the Holy Spirit. But abiding in his word, again, it helps us in this. Again, these all work together. Not only because the word tells us of the gospel, but also because it tells us what is sin and what is holy. It tells us how to avoid sin. So often what you find in talking to people who are struggling with a particular sin is that, again, there will be a claim that I would love to be free from this sin, but is never backed up with any action. Bible tells us, resist the devil and he will flee. You know how Jesus resisted the devil? It is written. It is written. It is written. Three times Satan tempts Jesus. Three times he responds, it is written. We resist the devil and he will flee. But by the same token, we are to flee temptation. This is what I'm talking about. So often people will say, well, I don't want to be a slave to sin. Yet they keep running back to it. Heard that old saying, right? If you're walking home every day and you fall in the same ditch, eventually you're going to take a different way home. (laughs) Flee. Run from it. The Bible has given us this prescription on how to deal with sin. Were it not for the grace of God, we will remain in bondage. And this is massively important because Jesus here makes a connection. He says, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son does. We can understand how this might happen. It is... Many times in the New Testament, slavery, what we're talking about are people who are indentured servants. People who would uh, willingly uh, put themselves under the servitude of another for a while, serve as their slave so that they would have food, eating. This is how the initial agreement looked with Israel and Egyptians. Remember, they put themselves under the Egyptians because there's no food. But in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish custom, what we see is that the Jewish concept of slaves too, they were... They were temporary in many cases. And so someone might come for a few years and then they might be gone. But either way, what we see here is that there's a temporary nature to the one who is a slave remaining in the house. But the son remains forever. 
And by his grace, we are saved by faith in the Son. We are adopted into his household. We are made sons and daughters of the King. If we believe in Christ, we are, we're not a, a slave who might be thrown out in one moment. But we are his sons. We are his children. Romans 8, 12 through 15 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, we see that by his grace we are adopted as sons and daughters. We are no longer slaves, but now we are children of God. And this is such a powerful concept that John will even reflect on this later in his epistle. In 1 John 3, verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We are called to put to death sin, not returning back to slavery. It's easy to want to dunk on the Israelites all the time, right? Don't say, oh, the Israelites are so stupid. Because they're sitting there at the mountain of God and they say, you know what? It would have been better for us if we were just in slavery. Send us back. We look at them and we go, you're stupid. All the while, we make the same mistake with our sin. We, we are blessed by the grace of God. And yet we say, send me back to slavery. True believers are free from sin by his grace. And even though we may fall, we will not persist. We will fight. We will repent. We will lament. We will move forward by his grace. And so what we see is that in conclusion today, true believers abide in God's word. They think spiritually. They are free from the bondage of sin. But the only way to do any of that is to first be set free through the Son. We are called to be free indeed by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a believer and you're here today and you are longing for freedom, you recognize that you are a sinner, maybe you're caught in a vicious cycle of doing things that you wish you didn't do and not doing the things you wish you did do. Recognize that. Throw yourself on God's mercy. Trust in the work of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. But if you are here today and you are claiming to be a believer, make sure that these marks are present in your life. Abide in his word. Think spiritually with spiritual eyes and be free from the bondage of sin. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you today and Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you that you have given us faith. Lord, we recognize your word tells us that faith is a gift. And so, Lord, we come before you today Lord, thanking you for your grace, thanking you for the gift of belief. Lord, we pray today that if we are claiming it, that we would truly exhibit what you have called us to. Father, we pray that you would move in our midst now, that your will would be done, that you would call us to respond accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. 
We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.